Hi there, Pastor Austin Vondracek here. Thank you for joining us at Rosewood Church Online. My prayer for you is that this message will be used by God to bless, teach, and challenge you today. And whether you call Rosewood home and are catching up on a past message, or you're one of our many long-distance partners who tune in every week, would you consider giving back to support the ministries and missions of Rosewood Church? You can do so easily through our website, rosewoodchurch.org. And if you're listening and you're local to the West Michigan area, we would love to have you in person when the time is right for you. Again, I pray this blesses you and helps you grow in your love of Jesus Christ. Good morning, everybody. Well, good to be back. Uh, my name is Austin Bondercheck. It's, um, yeah, we were away for, uh, we try to get away like once a year to go somewhere in Michigan and uh, that was last week, so it's good to be back after being gone uh, a couple weeks. Now it kind of, like for our family, feels like now summer can begin. Like we've had our trip, now summer can start. So, oh, happy Labor Day weekend. <laughs> oh, oh well. Um, no, uh, today we are, we're going to finish up a series today, a short little series uh, called Preparation for Promise. We've been looking at uh, the book of Numbers together through this series. And the book of Numbers is one that is, is certainly uh, easy to look over. Um, Certainly the title doesn't really sell it. Like, no, everyone's, like, least favorite subject in school was, was, was math, and so now it's like, what are we going to call this one? How about numbers? Good. Um, so, but, but still, you know, and also I think some people would describe some of the events of the book of Numbers even a little bit boring as well. And, but I think that part of perhaps why there's some sense of that, which I don't agree with, but part of what gets some of that sense is that the book of Numbers is a time of waiting. It's a time of ordinary. Frankly, it's kind of like a, it's relatable to us because most of life is ordinary. Uh, We all know what it's like. We're all waiting for something. We're all in a season of waiting. And what the book of Numbers really shows us is that in that waiting and in that ordinary. God was not just sitting on his hands, but what was happening through the Israelites' in, uh, experiences as accounted in Book of Numbers was a time of preparation. God was preparing his people for the promise that was to come next. Now, speaking of what's next, I uh, just want to just say real quickly, next week we're going to be beginning, be beginning a new series uh, called Grace Alone. And if you hang out in churches or Rosewood Church for long enough, you'll pick up that we believe that we are saved by grace alone. But what do we do with grace after that? That's what we're going to be looking at for about four weeks together in our series, Grace Alone. Now, back to today. Uh, because we're finishing this series today, it kind of makes sense to end with the event that all of this waiting has been waiting for, which is Israel's emergence into the promised land after having fleed uh, uh, slavery from Egypt and making this 40-year journey throughout, just walking circles through, through the desert and the wilderness, and finally they arrive at the outskirts of the promised land. And the man who God, chose, who God chooses to bring the Israelites into the promised land is a man named Joshua. Which, if you know enough of the story to be kind of dangerous, you, you might know that, hey, that doesn't quite make sense. We've been talking about Moses this whole time. What happened to Moses? Well, to understand kind of what 
happened here, where this main character that's been leading the Israelites through the desert this whole time, why he's not there, and why it is that Joshua kind of takes the last leg. To understand that, we actually have to go back to to Numbers 20. So if you've got your Bibles open, we're going to be jumping around through the book of Numbers back and forth and flashbacks and all of that, but we're going to start today on Numbers 20. Uh, In Numbers 20, just for some kind of context here, what's happening is that the Israelites are complaining to Moses. They're hungry and they're thirsty, right? Oh, look at them not wanting to die of hunger and thirst. And so they're, they're complaining to Moses, give us water. And Moses, the thing is, Moses, it's not like he's hoarding all of the water, right? Like, so, so he says, I don't have any either. Well, well, in this, in all of their complaining, they start kind of chanting this this uh, this anthem, really, that they have used a number of times, or or at least that are recorded a number of times uh, through the Exodus, and and they say to Moses, "We'd rather go back to slavery and die in slavery with full bellies than to die as free men and women out here in the desert as we starve to death and are thirsty." And so God tells Moses in verse 8, he says, Take the staff, and you and your brother Aaron, gather the assembly together. Speak to that rock before your eyes, and it will pour out its water. But instead, Moses' anger and frustration gets the best of him. And the text says that instead of speaking to the rock, Moses raised his arm and struck the rock twice with the staff. Water gushed out in the community, and the livestock drank. So, what do we learn here? Well, it it worked. He hit the rock, and it worked. But it wasn't the way that God had commanded. And so God said to Moses and to his second in charge, Aaron, he says, because you did not trust in me enough to honor me as holy in the sight of the Israelites, you will not bring this community into the land. And then seven chapters later, Moses makes, uh, God makes good on his promise to Moses, as he always does. And Moses is replaced by Joshua for the completion of the exile journey. Now, if you're listening to this this morning, and, and you're thinking to yourself, uh, that seems harsh, I don't think you're alone. I I think that a lot of us might think that after seeing what happens here to Moses. You know, for Moses, for most of us, when we look at this, or at least look at it the first time, my guess is that your your thought is similar to mine, which is, boy, okay, um, that mistake seemed a little trivial, and the consequences seemed excessive. So that's not fair. I mean, think about what he did, right? God said, speak to the rock. Moses struck the rock. Okay, if we're talking people, speaking to striking, big difference. Rocks? Meh. It worked anyway, didn't it? So why do we, why why does this have to happen to Moses? I mean, this is what happens when trivial, not so big crimes or sins or mistakes end up in really severe consequences, or at least too severe, then we cry, it's not fair. Now, I don't want to park here for too long, but we need to kind of get through this uh, scene in order to move on to understand why it is that Joshua is leading the people and what that means for us in preparation for promise. Now, uh, I don't want to park here too long again, but it is a part of a bigger story that we need to figure out. I think that this seems unfair to us in part because we live in a me 
Christ-centered world, and we can't help but, even as Christians who, who claim that Christ is the center of our lives, we can't help but have a little bit of that me-centered world influence the way we think and the way we act and the way that we, we process things. You see, when, when, when it seems unfair in a situation like this, I think a lot of it is because it's that me-centered world coming in. Because when we, in, in a me-centered world, when it's about you and when everything's about you and it, everything gravitates around you, including what God does and what he's up to, then values of God or values of a Christ-centered life, such as holiness, obedience, and submission, they get replaced, among others, by the way, but they get replaced by some of these me-centered values, like personal prosperity, selfishness, unlimited freedom. In other words, we, when we live at the center of the world, then God's actions revolve around us, not him. So when we see something that God does, and we think, boy, that doesn't seem fair. I mean, yeah, God did it, and yeah, yeah, yeah I believe he's holy, and yeah, I believe he's all-knowing, but, 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 ugh. That's not fair. Well, when things, when actions aren't in our favor, we cry foul. Now, Moses is, I think, a second kind of good evidence that, that we are maybe not so correct in saying that this situation is not fair. I think one of the other reasons that we, could, we can say that this is, in fact, fair is when we look at Moses. Moses, as we'll see, Moses didn't put up a fight. I mean, if anyone was going to cry, this is not fair, it should have been Moses. But here's what we have instead. In chapter 27, God brings Moses to this high place, and he looks out over the promised land, and he says to Moses what what Moses would have already known. He says, this is the promised land, but you will not be the one to lead these people into it. To which Moses says this, He says, may the Lord, the God of the spirits of all mankind, appoint a man over this community to go out and come in before them. One who will lead them out and bring them in so that the Lord's people will not be like sheep without a shepherd. You see, even when the Israelites were really hard to love, even when the Israelites were really hard to live with, Moses never gave up looking to preserve and lead them. And now as he prepares to leave them, Moses prays that God would send someone to come after him to continue the work that, as Moses is realizing, he only just began. He was not going to finish it. He started it. But someone was going to come after him. And rather than crying foul, and rather than being disappointed with God's, with God's uh, 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 decision about him, Moses chose to pray for the next person. Moses is described as a humble man in the book of Numbers, and, and here we see it on display, because for him, the mission that he was on as, with God, the mission that he was on was more important than the man. The mission was more important than himself. He was about God's business. And in that time in history, God's mission, God's business, was to raise up a people of his own and establish them at the center of the known world, the crossroads of the world, so that they could be a light to the entire world. You see, Moses, he was a strong leader, but his leadership had to end at some point. 
Now, his disobedience resulted in his authority being taken from him. Uh, but had this event with the stone not happened, something else would have. And, and even, if, even if something equivalent to him striking the stone rather than speaking to it, even if something like that uh, didn't happen, well, eventually, at the very least, Moses would get old and he would die. No one is permanent on this earth, which means that no leader is permanent in their leadership role. And I think that this, what happens between Moses and Joshua, really kind of speaks in a special way to spiritual leaders today about legacy. And as I was reading this text and just processing this message and trying to take all these things and put it in a line that made sense, I couldn't help but think, think as, I, as I was working on this, I couldn't help but think that, boy, this is so, this so clearly, like this speaks to our Sunday school leaders. This speaks to our, 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 our small group leaders and our kids and, and student ministry leaders and our adult discipleship leaders and our hospitality leaders and our outreach leaders and our prayer leaders and every person here at Rosewood that has influence both now and to come. This is for you. You see, legacy is not about being is not, it, it, legacy is about being reproducible, not irreplaceable. Sometimes I think that we think that leadership is about making ourselves so important and so necessary that we actually become irreplaceable rather than reproducible. And if we believe that ministry and life and the church is, is a lot like the scenario that Moses found in his day, well then, you know what? Hopefully these things go on a lot longer than us, which means there needs to be somebody that comes after us. Because the faith is so much bigger than any one person who is here today. And God willing, it will continue long after any person here today. I'll give you, the thing is, I think sometimes we become irreplaceable. Most times, in my experience, most times on accident. We just don't even think about it. Other times, I think it can actually be on purpose. Our pride gets in the way. And I'll tell you a story about myself and a little bit of both of those. So um, I came here from another church about three years ago. And so naturally, at my other church, there were things that I was, I was, in charge of. I mean, there were some things that I inherited, some things that I, I started myself, and, and, um, and then when I left, you know, usually when you leave a church, you just kind of, I mean, you set yourself up the best you can to leave, and then, and then you leave. You back up, and you let the next person and the next people kind of find their place and their rhythm, and, and you start, the last thing you do is meddle, right? But naturally, well, after some time, after about a year or so, you know, every so often you just, like, get bits of information from people that you used to know or, or, or whatever. And, and so I started to learn that some of the things that I had done, that I had led, things I had been proud of, no longer existed at that church. Which, I should note, ministries have a lifespan. People have a lifespan. Churches have lifespans. Ministries have lifespans. And just because they're also not permanent doesn't mean that they're not important. Maybe they're just important for that time. And the wise thing to do at some point may be to say, let's close the book on this. However, some of those things didn't end because their time was up. Some of those things ended because there was a lack of leadership. When I left, there became a vacuum in a few different areas that 
didn't really, a leadership vacuum that didn't really get filled. And consequently, it became, also, in my opinion, an early death to some things that I think maybe could have gone longer and, and been beneficial. But when thinking about that now, part of why that happened, a major part, is because I had set myself up to be irreplaceable in a few areas. It was never my intention, and I was sad to hear that they were done. But I was not reproduced. I was irreplaceable in some ways. Now, here's where we get to the selfish part. <laughs> here's where I get selfish. When I heard about some of those things, I actually felt kind of good. It's not stretched to understand why. Because those things died in my, absent, in my absence, it meant that I was important. Or at least that's how I interpreted it. I was important. I, maybe I was missed. Maybe as those things withered up and died, they thought, hmm, if Austin was still here. That made me feel good to imagine these things. But the thing is, I know better now because legacy isn't about being irreplaceable. It's about being reproducible. Because this thing that we're all involved in, the church, is so much bigger than you and me. Every leader should see themselves as interim, in my opinion. How might your approach change if you understood yourself or saw yourself as interim? As someone who is good for a time, who is, is good for this time, but eventually there will become a time when someone else will have to pick up where you left off, where someone else will sit at your desk, Someone else will teach your class. Someone else will lead your small group. You may be the leader of your family now, but someday those you lead will grow up and lead families of their own. What if we saw ourselves as interim? How would that change what we did today? Kind of sad to think about, isn't it? A little bit at least. A little sad to imagine things going on without us. And I think maybe that's part of why we, maybe there's a little bit there on why we don't want to think about it. However, I want to reframe this because I don't think it's a bad thing. I think that this is a really good thing because what this tells us is that you are a link in the chain of God's ongoing work. There were people who came before you and there will be people who come after you. And if you care about what you do today, then you should care about who's going to do it after you're gone. In fact, there's a, let me, let's just kind of think about it. I want to apply a little bit of a teaser here for, for something that's coming up later because, you know, we can think about, we can easily apply these things to groups and to ministries. We can apply these things to our families and our jobs. We can also apply it to the church as a whole. And, and again, I've said, I hope that Rosewood Church will outlive every one of us here. Every single one. The youngest person here, I hope Rosewood outlives that youngest person. That Rosewood continues to exist and thrive and be a beacon of light in this community and through, in this world through our ministries and our missions. I hope that happens. But hoping doesn't make it happen. We have to also understand how we pass down 
to the next generation, and the generation after that, and the generation after that, and the generation after that. In fact, so again, just to tease something coming up, uh, uh, the, the, within kind of the student ministry realm, they're working on a mentoring program where you can be partnered with one student, a one-on-one relationship to kind of mentor them, to be a, be a bit of a Moses to a Joshua, if you will. Now, that's still in the process, and it's not time to sign up, but we're still working on it, and I just wanted to kind of put that out there. It felt like a fitting place to make mention of it. All right, back to the story here. As for Moses and the Israelites, Joshua, as we've already said, would be chosen to lead the Israelites into their next phase of life. But Joshua was not some like out of left field uh, person. He didn't just like pop up as the leader. We actually know quite a bit about Joshua because it wasn't the first time that he appeared in the book of Numbers. If we want to find the first time, we actually have to go back to Numbers eleven twenty eight, 28, where he's introduced. And it says, Joshua, son of Nun, uh, who had been Moses' aid since youth. He'd been at Moses' side since this guy was a kid. And then Joshua keeps popping up in the story, too. This isn't the last time we hear about him. He, he's, he's, we're told later that he's the general of Moses' army. When Moses uh, ascends the mountain to receive God's law, uh, Joshua gets to come with him part of the way, but he gets to go further than anybody else. So he gets to, he's a part of that uh, significant event. And then later, or, or actually, well, earlier, but whatever. Anyway, at another time, uh, 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 Moses sends 12 spies into the promised land the first time they're approaching it. And he sends 12 in to say, hey, tell us what this looks like so that we can be prepared. And, and Joshua is chosen as one of the 12. And then he's one of two who comes back with a favorable report who says, yes, these guys are huge, and we are so outnumbered and so outgunned, but still, God has promised us this, so let's go. Unfortunately, it was 10 to 2, and thus the 40 years of wandering in the desert began. But now, Joshua, four decades later, will receive a second chance as the one chosen to lead Israel. Earlier, he entered the promised land as a spy. Now he gets to enter as the leader of the Israelites. And the last element of preparation that God utilizes to empower his people to be who they need to be is new leadership. And they they got to new leadership through mentorship. Now, certainly the Israelites are not done learning. Just because they're prepared to to enter the the promised land does not mean that they just have it all figured out and that God doesn't have more to teach them and they don't need to retain the humility to learn as well. But now, with this last element in place, they are prepared to receive, to take ownership of the promise that God has been preparing them for all of this time. And so if you want to pick up on where the story goes from there, you can flip open to the book of Joshua. That's easy to remember. Joshua picks right up with this. And guess who's at the beginning of Joshua? Joshua. Yeah, you're sharp. Uh, so, they, so Joshua continues to, to, to lead, and, you, and you'll see that, 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 that Joshua leads them uh, through the Jordan River, and that, that Joshua leads them to their first battle at Jericho, and he is the leader for the next phase of the Israelites' story. But this isn't how the story ends. You see, even though we've reached the end of Numbers, 
the story of Numbers is not complete. Because the end of the book of Numbers is the beginning of the next chapter in a much larger and bigger story. They are entering the promised land, but God was doing something much bigger than raising up a new leader. God was doing something so much bigger than establishing these people in this place. You see, one day, God would give his people another leader who would shepherd his people without fault. A leader who would lead his people to a new home. But this home would be one that would never, ever be taken from them. And after Joshua's time, and and I'm talking a long time after Joshua's time, 1,200 years after Joshua's time, which spanned the time of, of 12 judges and over 40 kings and hundreds of years of combined time and exile and occupation, God would send his son Jesus to announce that God's kingship was entering a new phase of reality. And whereas Moses led the Israelites out of slavery through the Red Sea, and Joshua led, the, led God's people through the Jordan River into the Promised Land, Jesus leads us through the waters of baptism into a new identity as God's people and into a new eternal home that can never, ever be taken away. You see, the world is still in preparation for a promise. This story is not over, and we are continuing to be prepared for what's next. And what's next is a promise that was sealed with the blood of Jesus and was delivered to us by grace. And knowing where we're going next in the next series, I think this is an okay place to stop for today. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for the succession of spiritual leaders that have led us to the place we are today. Thank you for leaders here at Rosewood Church who have come and gone, but have left a legacy that lives on today. Thank you for our past pastors Thank you for past leaders. Thank you for past other, other staff members, some of which are here, some of which have moved on. But God, we are who we are today because of those who have come before. And so God, thank you for the people in this church family's life who have made us who we are. And thank you also for the individuals within our own individual lives who have helped to plant the seed and water the seed of faith So we are who we are today because of them. And God, we think and we pray for those who will come later. I imagine Jesus as he, God, as as he prayed in the garden and he prayed for his disciples and he prayed for those who would come after him after he was crucified. See, even even you, God, you, you knew that this time of this Jesus leadership in the flesh would not last forever. And so you raised up disciples and 12 multiplied into a billion. And so, Jesus, we pray for those who would come after us, those who would raise up in leadership 
perhaps today, perhaps 50 years from now, we pray, God, that we would be able to multiply this, that we would be able to equip one another for spiritual growth. And God, we pray your blessing upon them as you have blessed us. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you again for making Rosewood a part of your day. If this was your first time listening to us, we'd love to know that you're out there. Text the word hello to 616-300-1776, and that'll open a line of communication between us and you. Now, go in peace to love and serve the Lord.